Good morning, everyone. It's Iowimala in the Arctic, uh, northern Wisconsin, not northern Illinois. It's even more Arctic further north in Wisconsin. Um, we're in we're in a period of incredibly low temperatures for a, through the end of next week at least. So it's gorgeous outside. It is. Everything's buried in snow, but it's bright and sunny, and there are little, beautiful little clouds in the sky, and a blue sky. So uh, that's always good for us here in the winter when we get when we have some days of sun. It makes a huge difference. I think my little plants like it too. Um, I was looking at. I have a few books I just wanted to tell you about. You, you may know of them, but I'm going to read a little bit from one, and the other two are books that that I'm working with, and uh, Aaron Dink and I are going to be starting another Art in the Suttas class, working with the Eightfold, the Noble Eightfold Path. So two of these books are, are on that. One one I'm very excited about. And the other book is, I'll show you the books, but you know it'll be backwards. The other book is a, uh, an edition by Bhikkhu Bodhi. It's the B, the Buddhist teachings on social and communal harmony. So you'll recognize the cover. That's from Wisdom Press. And what, he's, what Bhikkhu Bodhi has done is collected a series of suttas and he's uh, comment, uh, has a commentary on them, but he's divided them up in the uh, his in the contents. You can see how he's divided this, and it's not a very big book, you know. In the book of suttas, are several several huge volumes, but he has broken them up into uh, important qualities in the Buddhist teachings, and I think it's. Really just a beautiful collection. Starts out, I'm just going to tell you the sections. The first section is right understanding and how right view and right, and a right can mean uh, the highest or it can mean the most appropriate for the situation. Um, but right understanding and right view and how they actually come together and what, what that means. And the second division is personal training. So it's covering generosity and virtuous behavior and removing, oh, I have a tickle in my nose, removing defilements of the mind and loving kindness and compassion. The third section is on dealing with anger. The long section and proper speech is next. And several suttas that discuss and talk about these topics that we're always interested in. Then good friendship is number five, the qualities of a good friend, uh, good friendship in the household life, good friendship in a monastic life, several other sections. Uh, section six, one's own good and the good of others. Seven, the intentional community. And I know lots of people have an interest, and that's one of the things that draws them to the teachings of the Buddha. Hi, David. Uh, 
at the creation of intentional community. And that's when we talk about our Sangha. So that's a long section. If you're interested in that topic, I would say this is a book to start with. Eight, how to deal with disputes. Why do beings live and hate? Nine is, oh, that was eight. Nine is settling disputes. Ten is establishing an equitable society. That's which, when you think about it, the Buddha was a revolutionary teacher because an equitable society wasn't even, that wasn't even a concept, I don't think, in his time. And he talks about husbands and wives and the, the social status and the state, um, parents and children. Because, you know, usually in the Buddha's day, the wives were pretty much property and children were too, and there were slaves and there were indentured people. Um, he was very bold to take those topics on. So that's one book, and I'm going to read a little bit from the introduction of that. The other two, my personal, my favorite right now, is Gil Fronsdale's book, Steps to Liberation, The Buddha's Eightfold Path. And it's a small book. The print's relatively large. Actually, the, the print's quite large. But it's almost like a workbook. I can even see this if it was in a workbook format. This book is so wonderful because Gil Fronsdale, who's an incredible teacher in California, uh, has, has done translations and he's done other, uh, other books, but he's an incredible teacher. Uh, lots of his talks are with insight, uh, access to insight or spirit rock. But he uh, has taken the, the Buddha's Eightfold Path and broken it down into what could basically be an eight-month study and reflection and practice. And I think that is how we need to work with Buddhist concepts, unless you're just an academic and want to be able to know what they are, um, when, and that means you're really not experiencing them or living them. But uh, this is a beautiful way to see how to work with lots of the things we read about, especially the list, all the lists that we can learn in Buddhism. We can memorize those or we can work with them the way Gil has outlined in this little book. And it would work with other, other, uh, other Buddhist concepts that we're working with, not not just the Eightfold Path, but this is, he gives discussion, and then he has, um, you spend a week reflecting on your own, you know, how you are, see yourself in relationship currently to that part of the path, and then you have time to uh, write in a journal about your discoveries every day, and there's meditation practice, and so the whole month, you can spend a whole month on each part of the path. And the whole goal is to really integrate it and make it your own in your own life. So I think that's a beautiful concept that we need to, we need to have these longer periods of, you know, sitting with and then experiencing these things we're learning and seeing 
How do they work in our lives? And can, can, do we really relate to them? Or is it just something that we're, we're trying to, to learn about, but we're not actually living? So that's a beautiful book. And then, of course, Bhikkhu Bodhi has, there's so many books on the Eightfold Path. But Bhikkhu Bodhi's, and it, again, it's a small book. This is a wonderful book on the Eightfold Path and explaining it. And um, it's something you can just keep and go back to all the time. And talk pulls things from the suttas and talks about meditation and talks about each one of the the parts of the path and again how the Buddha taught and why and uh, reflections for us. So, and the Noble Eightfold Path is the salute when the Buddha taught about uh, after he became enlightened and he realized the Four Noble Truths. The first is, there is suffering. I don't think we would translate it that uh, as life is suffering, but more that there is suffering. We have to, that we, we need to accept that. We need to recognize that the quality of suffering is inherent in, in our lives. And the second truth is that there is a cause for this. So this is like going to the doctor, right, and having having something diagnosed and then a, uh, the cure found. So there is a cause, and that cause is our clinging and our uh, grasping for things, other people. But the grasping and not being able to relinquish things that are conditioned, so they're not permanent, they're impermanent. And when we cling to things that are impermanent, we're setting ourselves up for suffering. And our nature is to want to cling to something we like and to push away with equal, uh, you know, disgust or aversion to things we don't like, which is kind of a reverse clinging. And in this world, things are impermanent and things contain suffering because of that. And uh, things don't belong to us. They aren't ours. So many things, our thoughts, so much of what we do and so much, many of the things that we cling to as who we are are not ours at all. So that uh, impermanence, the nature of all things, all conditioned things is impermanence. And when we try to make that not so, that's, that's delusion and it creates suffering. So um, then the third is there is a path out of that. So the Buddha's enlightenment was his awakening to the Four Noble Truths. So that what the issue is, and then that there is a way out of it. And the way out of it is this path, the Eightfold Path. So it's a critical, essential teaching of the Buddha's You don't have to be a Buddhist to understand that path and to see if it works for you. But uh, it's good to find ways to really dive deeply into it. So I want to read just uh, a little bit from Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. But it's from the general introduction, but I think you'll get a taste of how how he... uh, 
decided to write this book and how important it is. And I think I think what's in this book is what's pivotal pivotal to all people who study the Buddha's teachings. So this is his general introduction. Conflict, and this is on the origins of the Buddha's teachings on social harmony, which is what this book is about. Conflict and violence have plagued humankind from time immemorial, leaving the annals of history stained with blood, while the human heart has always stirred with the yearning for peace, harmony, and loving fellowship, the means of satisfying this yearning have ever proved elusive. In international relations, wars succeed one another like scenes in a film, with only brief pauses during which the hostile powers set about forging new alliances and making surreptitious grabs for territory. Social systems are constantly torn by class struggles in which the elite class seeks to amass more privileges and the subordinate class to achieve greater rights and more security. Whether it is the conflict between masters and slaves, between feudal lords and serfs, between the aristocrats and the common people, between capital and labor, it seems that only the faces change with the un- while the underlying dynamics of the power struggle remain the same. Communities as well are constantly threatened by internal strife. Rival bids for power, differences of opinion, and competing interests among their members can tear them apart, giving birth to new cycles of enmity. When each new war, division, or dispute has peaked, the hope rises that reconciliation will follow, that peace and unity will eventually prevail. Yet again and again, these hopes are quickly disappointed. A moving passage in the scriptures of early Buddhism testifies to this disparity between our aspirations for peace and the stark reality of perpetual conflict. On one occasion it is said, Saka, the ruler of the gods, visited the Buddha and asked the anguished question, Why is it that when people wish to live in peace without hatred or enmity, they are everywhere embroiled in hatred and enmity? Then he quotes the text. The same question rings down the ages, and it could be asked with equal urgency about many trouble spots in today's world. Iraq and Syria, the Gaza Strip, the Central African Republic and South Sudan, Myanmar and Sri Lanka, Charleston and Baltimore. Everywhere, right? This problem must also have weighed on the Buddha's heart as he traveled the Ganges Plain on his teaching tours. The society of his time was divided into separate castes distinguished by the prerogatives of the elite and the servile status of those at the bottom. Those outside the caste system, the outcast, were treated even worse, subjected to the most degrading indignities. The political landscape, too, was changing as monarchies led by ambitious kings rose from the ashes of the old tribal states 
and embarked on military campaigns intended to expand their domains. Within the courts, personal rivalries among those hungry for power were bitter. Even the spiritual communities of the time were not immune to conflict. Philosophers and ascetics proud of their theories sparred with each other in passionate debates, each seeking to defeat their rivals and swell the ranks of their followers. In a deeply moving poem, poem in the Suttanipata, the Buddha gives rise to the feeling of vertigo such violence had produced in him. Perhaps soon after he left Kapalawatu, and witness firsthand the world outside his native land. <clears throat> Fear has arisen from one who has taken up violence. Behold the people engaged in strife. I will tell you of my sense of urgency, how I was stirred by a sense of urgency. Having seen, seen people trembling like fish in a brook with little water, when I saw them hostile to one another, fear came upon me. The world was insubstantial all around. All the directions were in turmoil. Desiring an abode for myself, I did not see any place unoccupied. It's beautiful. It's beautiful poetry about the condition of the world. And I don't think any of us would say it was any different now, about 2,700 years later. And I'll read just one more. Once he began teaching, the Buddha's primary mission was to make known the path that culminates in inner peace, in the supreme security of Nibbana, release from the cycle of birth, old age, and death, but the Buddha did not turn his back on the human condition in favor of a purely ascetic, introspective quest for liberation. From his position as a renunciate, who stood outside the conventional social order, he looked with deep concern on struggling humanity. Enmeshed in conflict while aspiring for peace, and out of compassion, he sought to bring harmony into the troubled arena of human relations to promote a way of life based on tolerance, concord, concord, and kindness. But he did even more. He founded an intentional community devoted to fostering inner and outer peace. This thrust was this task was thrust upon him almost from the start, for the Buddha was not a solitary wanderer teaching those who came to him for guidance and then leaving them to their own devices. He was the founder of a new spiritual movement that from the outset was inevitably communal. Immediately, immediately after he concluded his first sermon, the five ascetics who heard it asked to become his disciples. As time went on, his teaching attracted increasing numbers of men and women who chose to follow him into the life of homelessness and take on the full burden of his training. Thus a Sangha, a community of monks and nuns who live in groups, traveled in groups, and trained in groups, gradually developed around him. 
So that's just his introduction, and how he then he describes how he structures the book. Um, I think it's it's a this is it also contains all the suttas that talk about uh, the eightfold path, but he's he's divided it up and structured it uh, differently. So it's really on social and communal harmony, which is exactly uh, the the. The ground, uh, the groundwork of all of the Buddhist teachings, he was trying to, he was trying to find a way to create a society where there could be peace, where people could get along with each other. He could see that that was the root of all of the suffering in the world. So, and it still is. It's exactly the same today. So, this book. I would really recommend this book. And if you're not, if you if you'd like to know more about the suttas, the teachings of the Buddha, but you you haven't found a class or or you're overwhelmed by these volumes of teachings, I think this is a wonderful book to look at because he's really he's really specifically grouping some suttas and then taking you through a. a an understanding and a reading of them in a way that you could work with. So you could work through this book on your own, or it might be a great book to do for a book group or for a class. So um, I wanted to share those things with you today because people are always looking for something good to read, and these are all easy to follow. So you can, uh, books by Bhikkhu Bodhi, and there's two that I sh- I'm showing you, the Buddhist teachings on social and communal harmony, the Noble Eightfold Path, and then Gil Fronsdale's book, Steps to Liberation. Gil has written about, I think he's translated uh, several things, uh, but he's written about, I think, about five books, and we're using his Dhammapada book for the uh, Dhammapada studies that... Bhante Bhadiya does on the fourth Sunday. And we used his uh, sutta study guide for many years at Blue Lotus when we were doing sutta study uh, back, wow, back in the, back in the long ago. <laughs> so these are three books I recommend, and not just to read, but to really dive in deeply. And I know as long as we're... Uh, we're still we're still in pandemic days. A lot of us are really trying to um, to use what time we have to to get deeper into finding ways to live live in a, a society that's a bit more peaceful. I think what the Buddha always reminded us, though, is you know this is samsara. This is this is how the world is, and we the peace we find is going to come from within. And so these are books that can help us start developing that peace within. And you do not have to be a Buddhist to read the books or to get all the value out of them. So my time is up and we haven't meditated, but uh, you can, if you like, you can sit and just reflect on... uh, this beautiful poem that the Buddha's talked about and some of those images. And also practice metta because met and 
stick with yourself. Do the I, may I be happy. And just repeat that phrase that can be, uh, may I be happy, can become, uh, what are those things we, <laughs> it can become something you can repeat to yourself over and over and bring you back to uh, remember that the first thing we have to do is to be nurturing ourselves and uh, developing that peace and that contentment within. And when we talk about happy, we're talking about true happiness, not uh, consumer happiness or material happiness. We're talking about that contentment, that uh, uh, that letting go of that stress, of that suffering, and feeling free. So you can always come back and have, may I be happy, may I be happy, may I be happy, is a way to come back to yourself. So... Thank you so much. Enjoy your evening or your day and um, enjoy reaching out to your friends and your loved ones. Thank you. I'll see you Sunday. Uh, and if you're in the book club, we should be getting a, a simpler uh, a simpler link that will stay the same with the different book groups. So check check out and see it's not on facebook yet you have to you have to subscribe to each individual class but that should be changing so we can have just keep one uh, one link and one passcode but monday this coming monday is book group again 5:30 to 6:30 hour central time and please join us with pema children's welcoming the unwelcome have a good weekend, but wherever you are, enjoy, enjoy the weather you have. Thank you so much.